Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. feels perfect other days it just ain't working the good the bad the right the wrong and everything in between yo it's crazy amazing we can turn our hearts through the words we say mountains crumble with every syllable hope can live or die so speak life Thank you guys for being on with us tonight. We have a very special show uh, for you guys. We have a, a special guest on with us tonight, and he, uh, he will join us very shortly. Uh, Tammy um, hopes to join us uh, before the end of the call. She had a, uh, an engagement come up, um, and she had to uh, do something, but she is hoping to join the call. Um, before we uh, conclude this evening, but if not, the show must go on. The show will go on, and uh, I'm sure uh, Tammy will go back and uh, listen to the show as she always does, um, and I know that I can speak for her as well and just saying that we can, we, we, we thank you guys for continuing to uh, support uh, the Butterfly Evolution Show each and every Monday. Um you could be doing anything. You could be you could be anywhere, but uh, you choose to be here with us. And so we want to thank you guys uh, for being here with us. Um, just to get some housekeeping things done, um, if you are listening online and would like to call in at any point during the show, the number is 818-691-7406.
Again, the number is 818-691-7406. If you have a question or comment at any time during the show, please press the number 1, and I will bring you in by your area code and last four digits of your phone number. If I know you are, I will probably say, uh, hey, and then say your name. But if I don't know who you are, um, it is up to you whether or not you want to be anonymous. Uh, but please know that you are safe here. Please know that uh, you are welcome. Um, as long as you are respectful, uh, you know, we, we, we welcome uh, different views. We welcome different opinions because uh, we know that this this broadcast is all about transformation and change. So if you are closed-minded, then there will be no uh, transformation. And so um, we definitely want you guys to be open-minded. Uh, we have a very, very, very good topic um, tonight. I'm excited about the show. Um, if you are listening in the chat room, uh, please feel free to post your questions and comments there, um, and I will read them uh, on the air. Uh, but please feel free to do so. And uh, lastly, uh, before we get rolling with the show, um, to those of you who are uh, returning listeners, um, you know that we talk about um, the symbolism of the trash can each week. And for those of you who are new, basically what we want you to do is take a trash can that you use uh, frequently and move it to a, a different location, a new location. And see how often you revisit its old location. The reason being, we want you guys to think about how often we do things because they are routine. Um, I'm starting a book with uh, some of my sixth graders uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, if you're old school, you probably heard of the book. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? And basically, the book is all about um, adapting to change, adjusting um, to change. So we want you to move your trash cans and count how many times you re you revisit its old location. Without further ado, let me tell you a little bit about tonight's topic. It is based on uh, a book, and the title of the book is called Kleptomaniac, Who's Really Robbing God Anyway? Kleptomaniac, Who's Really Robbing God Anyway, is a trek through the pages of the Bible to find the untwisted truth about the centuries-old teachings on tithes and offerings. Every page of this book has information that will make you become an analyst in getting to the bottom line of what tithing is in the Old and New Testament. It takes you on a journey to first define the word tithe and then breaks down the differences between giving and tithing as the Bible instructs. For churchgoers who are tired of being told they rob God of tithes and offerings every Saturday and Sunday and that God requires a tenth of their income until death, this new book opens the biblical scroll and shines a light on the truth of Scripture by debunking centuries-old tithe doctrines which say a tithe is a 10% of a person's income. 
The author also explains why many churchgoers are not the ones who really robbed God, but exposes who the real God robbers are in this shocking tithe manifesto. Dr. Frank Chase Jr. is a native of Baltimore, Maryland. He graduated from Walbrook High School in 1978 and then enlisted and served in, in the United States Army for four years. During his path in life, he has served as a teacher, counselor, mentor, and leader in men's ministries and has spoken at various men's conferences. He is a graduate of Washington State University and has a bachelor's degree in communications with a minor in sociology. Because Frank believes in education, he pursued religious degrees and graduated from North Carolina College of Theology with a Bachelor of Biblical Studies, a Master of Arts in Theology, and a Doctor of Theology. He also started his publishing company, FC Publishing, LLC, to self-publish his first two books. As a writer, Dr. Chase authored his first book, False Roads to Manhood, What Women Need to Know, What Men Need to Understand. Dealing with the issues of manhood. Please welcome Dr. Frank Chase Jr. to the show. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. That was a long introduction. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was trying to like read a little bit about uh, you and a little bit about the book. <laughs> no, no, no problem, no problem. But you can dispense with the doctor. It just only means that I went to school a little longer to get a little bit more education. But you can call me Frank. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I I will do that. I will do that. I, I like to pay uh, respect uh, where respect is due, uh, okay. a, a, especially when someone goes to school uh, to get a Ph.D. simply because I know that, you know, it wasn't easy for me to get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, you know, writing papers and taking tests and, you know, trying to juggle life and work and sometimes family and all of those things is never easy. So, you know, you like to you like to pay that honor where where honors due. Right, and uh, there's one correction. It's a PhD. That's a doctor of theology. So there's a PhD and there's a PhD. I don't have the doctor of philosophy. So PhD is philosophy. Ah, okay. So you taught me something new. I'm, I'm glad I said it. <laughs> so, uh, so. So Frank, feel uh, feel free to uh, to tell us a little bit more about yourself. If I left anything out, and um, you know, uh, do you have any? Um, we're going to get into the book in just a second, uh, but just tell us a little bit more about you uh, that we may not know. And um, do you have any speaking engagements coming up? Do you um, have any book signings coming up? Um, your website, your publishing company, anything you would like for us to share? Uh, yes. Um, no, right at the moment, I don't have any book signings. Uh, I did one last year. I don't have anything scheduled this year. Uh, as far as me personally, um, I, I'm always an avid reader and an avid researcher. When I, when I get into a, a subject matter, I really like to uh, research what I'm trying to discover. I like uh, playing racquetball a lot, uh, although after one knee surgery, I guess I'm going to have to have another knee surgery because I'm not as young as I used to play, used to be. So when I get on the racquetball court, I think I'm 17, so I still try to play like I'm 17. 
<laughs> I understand. So that, doesn't, that doesn't that doesn't bode well because I'm walking like Mr. Mr. Wiggins from Curl Burnett after a, after the after racquetball, and I don't know if you know Curl Burnett show and Mr. Wiggins or remember that, but uh, that's what I've been told that I walk like after I play racquetball. Uh, other than that, <laughs> um, <I'm>, <laughs> other than that, I've lived in Alabama for a number of years. I've lived in Washington State. Um, uh, when I was in the Army, uh, I did go to Germany, and I did get a chance to visit Paris while I was there. So other than that, uh, nothing, is, nothing nothing on the horizon for the book. My first book I published years ago. Uh, my website for my current book right now is www.fcpublishing.com uh, slash about underscore kleptomaniac. And um, and uh, I have another website where you can get the book as far as the ebook or the PDF copy of the book, and that's on uh, Book Baby, and that is https you know the back colon backslash backslash store dot bookbaby dot com slash book slash kleptomaniac, and you can always look me up on Facebook. My book is on Facebook. Well, the book is on Facebook, and uh, I have about, um, as far as the second book is concerned, I have about maybe 30 or 40 YouTube videos, so if you type in the title of the book or type my name in YouTube, you can find at least 30 or 40 videos about uh, tithing on my YouTube page. So you have a very number of places you can find, and then you can go to my blog. I also have a blog also. And the blog is simple to remember. It's called tithesnomore.com. Just put in the HTTP colon backslash backslash tithesnomore.com without the W's. And you can get uh, a wealth of history uh, about the book and some of the other writings I've did about uh, tithing on my blog and videos and all lots of information about this subject matter on my blog. So if you want to start there, you can start there. You can start on Facebook and read some stuff. And then I have a uh, Friends of Kleptomaniac, who's really robbing God anyway, on Facebook. So if you want to be a friend of the book, you can go type in Friends Who Like Kleptomaniac, Who's Really Robbing God Anyway, and request to be a friend of my book if, you, if, you've, ever, if you've already read it or want to get it and read it and want to be a friend and talk about some of the things you learned about the book. So there's a wealth of different places you can get the information on the book. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. And and Tammy um, just finished up, so she should be uh, joining the call very shortly. Um, but so I was intrigued, uh, you know, by by the title and and wanted to wanted to learn more about the book simply because um, I know that it is it, it is um, the opposite of. <laughs> of what is um, taught or what is preached in a lot of um, churches today. So my first question is, how did you respond when you discovered the monetary tithe was different from the biblical tithe? Well, uh, that's a, now I'm not going to give you the long version of that because I'm going to have to give you the, uh, the, uh, the short version. Uh, prior to me okay. uh, leaving, my last, leaving my last church, we started getting into uh, studying the the origin of the scripture, the Hebrew aspect of the scripture, 
uh, because uh, the Messiah, and I like to use his Jewish name, Yeshua HaMashiach, but, um, which people call Jesus Christ, but uh, we started to study some of the Jewish background of his life and some of his culture and some of his, the practices of, of Judaism or just that time period. And uh, I had basically, I had always had suspicions about the tithe, basically for 30 years that I practiced the, 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 uh, the doctrine, monetary tithing, mm-hmm. but I never, really, uh-huh. I never really, I never really focused on really studying it. I mean, I did it because everybody else did it. So about three or four years ago, uh, we started getting into this Hebrew stuff, and I um, wrote, oh, I found a, um, a tithing study written by a Jewish rabbi. And, um, and I had already had questions about tithing, and I was going through some personal situations and financial situations, and I just really prayed and said to God, I really want to know what this tithing thing is all about. I really want to study it. I really want to know what it is. I really want to know the truth of the matter. I really want to find out what, what's accurate and what's not. Uh, I want to know the history. I want to know the, what. So I read this Jewish guy's, uh, I think it was about a 10-page 10 uh, page article. And to be unbeknownst to me, I was weeping through the whole thing because it was literally a shock to discover that tithing Monetary tithing, as it is practiced today, is not what the scripture actually teaches. And so when he, when I read the article, and he was going through all of the what tithing is based on the Hebrew and based on what uh, what what Jewish practices of two thousand years ago, based on what the Israelites actually did, and when he bumped that up against what New Testament giving is, because he covered both in the in the short paper, uh, I was just I was just I was just flabbergasted and was just saying, okay, well, what do I do now? I mean, uh, what do I do now? <laughs> so I, I was I was kind of skeptical about what he said. So I started digging here a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. And I picked up a book named Tithing Nailed to the Cross. I read that book. Then uh, in my initial discovery, I made a few phone calls to Israel and uh, – and some emails to Israel. I made some phone calls to Israel and asked them about this practice that American Christians are participating in. And uh, the, I, I honestly, one of the one of the uh, people, some of the people in Israel who answered my email, saying that we don't know what you American Christians are doing to the Bible, but you're butchering the you're butchering the the scripture because that's not what it is. And so it was like it was it was like it was like wow. And as I began to do more and more research and more and more research and picking up odds and in books, I basically discovered in about a month that what I had been doing for 30 years was not what the scripture actually teaches. And so now I was, now I was in a quandary of what I was going to do about this. And uh, I think I'll stop there and, and because there's more to this story as we go along. I can share more of it. But I began studying it a little bit more and then – and more, and then more, and then and then more, and then reading tons of books and articles and uh, different kinds of things, doing research, and it turned into the initial the initial studying that I did um, actually turned out to be 
a 117-page PowerPoint study on tithing before I even wrote the book. And I had no intention of writing the book because I didn't want to deal with the uh, religious uh, backfire that I was going to get. But eventually I ended up writing the book anyway. Mm, interesting. So so <laughs> um, it, it's funny that you say that um, because I think that one of the things that – that that we are faced with um, is 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 discovering the truth or discovering um, something that is different from what we practice or what we believe, and when we do, what is our next move? You know, when we when when we learn that, hey, something that I've been that that I've been doing my whole life there's a good chance it may not be right. And uh-huh. I think in a lot of cases we ignore, um, you know, we, we ignore those signs. And in very few cases people do what you did and say, hey, like I was already questioning this, so to speak, anyway. But now, um, now like I'm reading and I'm learning, you know, that, hey, there there may be, some difference to this, and so you started digging deeper. So I have, a, I have another question for you, and that is, um, do you think we practice Christianity, or do you think we have, we practice Americanism? Well, that's an interesting question because I have been thinking about that for some time. Now, mm-hmm. when I when I say certain things, I guess it's going to get some people upset because I've been thinking about this for, for probably many, many years. I mean, way back when I wrote my first um, letter to my first, I think one of my first pastors about the, uh, the, the, the concept of Christianity and the black and white church and how, how it, how that's so different than what we see in the Bible. So mm-hmm. I think we, I think we have two forms of Christianity. Uh, I think we have white Christianity, and I think we have black Christianity. And um, a lot of people are going to get mad at me for saying that, but when you look at the political and social, economic, and uh, political agendas and political uh, time frame that we live in and the social constructs that we have going on around around the country, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to see that something is afoot, something's just not quite right. And I, and, and I can say that because I've been a member of both predominantly white congregations and predominantly black congregations. And for those mm-hmm. who are not really looking, for those who are not really looking and or seeing these different things, then it's not going to be, it's not going to come, it's not going to come across. But if you're actually looking uh, and you're actually observing what you're seeing, uh, then you you basically can see that there is a difference. Yeah, that 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 is very true, and I think that you know the times that I've visited um, because I've tried to visit you know a few different churches. Um, in fact, uh, my wife and I went to I forgot the um, I forgot the type of church that it was, but you know. Um, there, there, there are some huge differences when when you do go to white churches versus versus black churches, um, and like I was saying on the show a few weeks ago, the same Bible that we 
preach from and live by today is the same Bible that people used to enslave us for over 500 years or enslave our ancestors. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it was done the same way that it is done now, and that is by just pure manipulation. You know, I've watched mm-hmm. people. Um, I've watched people go to church for for years, and you know, still be in the same boat. Um, you know, ten, twenty, thirty years later, that you know they were in when they first started, and it's like, you know, I think it's a personal thing. Um, but I also think that if you are going anywhere, if you are investing your time, investing your money, um, your well-being in anything, I think that you should be getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that so often people go to, go to church and they, you know, they they are so in, in, invested in the image of church that they aren't really getting anything from God, who they say, you know, that they're supposed to be getting something from. Right. Now, what made you, I know, I know you said that you didn't, you, did, you didn't start off, you know, uh, intending to write the book. So what made you finally write the book? Or converted into a book. Well, um, after after I started doing my research, um, the first thing that I began to experience was cognitive cognitive dissonance because when you have been indoctrinated into the monetary tithe system for thirty years, if you if you begin to read something that goes diametrically different than what you have been told then you, mm-hmm. you you battle with the cognitive dissonance for quite some time before you decide to move forward because it's, it's, it's a matter of thinking differently or viewing Scripture di- differently or taking the colored glasses off and start seeing the Scripture in its context based on history, the land, the, land, the language, and the literature of the original people who the Scripture was written to. And so once I got past that point, uh, I decided to go ahead and write the book because for two reasons, after I did the 117-page PowerPoint study, and by the way, uh, that whole study is online on my blog. So if you go check out my blog post, you'll be able to print that whole study out for yourself. And at, uh, the Tithe study is uh, on uh, on my blog at tithesnomore.com. So um, once I started listening and going back over whether or not I should write it, one was partially fear because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to get pushed back or con- or condemned, which was going to happen anyway. And another was how would it, how would, how would I, how would that impact me, uh, my family and all of that, and uh, with how would it impact my wife and all of these different things, and how would it impact the friends that I had or used to have or and don't have any more because I changed my position on uh, on a, a particular scripture in the Bible. Uh, that's what I was dealing with at first. But then I came to the conclusion based on something I read about, uh, based on something I read about Martin Luther, the um, founder of the um, Lutheran church. 
and Martin Luther posted mm-hmm. his um, his thesis on the Catholic Church wall. And when he was beginning to teach salvation by grace and the Catholic Church was saying, no, 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 no. Well, I, I to be frankly honest, in my mind and, and what I thought the, the Lord was saying to me at the time, he said, well, who are you, well, how are you any different than Martin Luther who decided to go against the whole entire Catholic Church? What makes you so special? So that's what really started me in doing this. And then the other part that forced me to go ahead and, and to really do it, I had friends, some people were telling me, why would you spend uh, spend so much of your of your life studying this and writing all this material and then putting it on the shelf? Um, and then that, that, that had me going for a while. So, because I was not going to publish this tithing book at all. Knowing that there were other tithing books out there that people had already written, I could have just said, well, mm-hmm. it's already out there. I don't, need, I don't need to add to the conversation because the conversation is out there. But um, mm-hmm. I decided not to. I decided not to follow that impression and go ahead and, and publish the book because I really wanted to leave a a record behind for future generations. Because what I had found out doing my research was doing throughout history, those who were against tithing throughout history, one of the major mistakes they made is that they never wrote things. They never wrote books. They never wrote. Uh, anything to leave behind for the next generation. And what I did see was a proliferation of books and articles being published about why you're supposed to pay 10% of your money uh, to God, to the church, every whatever your pay schedule is. So I saw more of that. So basically it looked like the pro-tithing segment of the church was sequestering those who disagreed because they had more published material than those who disagreed. Okay. And so that's what so that's what started me to say, okay, well I need to be, I need to leave a record behind by publishing a book. And so I did that, placed it in the Library of Congress. And so that book will be around if if the world's still around, that book will be in the Library of Congress for the for the for for all eternity in preservation. Okay. So so uh what is what is the difference between the monetary tithe and the and the biblical tithe? Okay. The uh the word if you go back to Leviticus twenty seven, thirty-two, thirty-three, you will know what it reads. And I'm sure everybody if the audience is listening, um if the audience is listening, just for the sake of context, I'm just gonna read it because there's nothing better than just making sure people hear it for themselves. So when you read Leviticus 27 through 27, 33, it says, and all the tithes of the land. Now, now, when you're reading scripture, words are important. So it says, all the, and all the tithes of the land, whether the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord. It is holy unto the Lord. And if any man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add a fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, even whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy 
it shall not be redeemed. Now, when you read that, uh, you don't even have to have a Ph.D. or Th.D. or B.A. degree to see that this is not talking about cash. It says tithe mm-hmm. of the land, fruit of the tree, and, and the animals. That was the tithe. The monetary part of this uh, tithe system didn't come into play, and I'm going back in history now, didn't come into play until the Holy Roman Catholic Church under Charlemagne and Constantine. And that's when the, the biblical tithe began to get commuted to monetary tithing under these two people in the Catholic, uh, in, that were beginning of the part phases of the Catholic Church. And there's a lot more history to that. And, then, and that's what was this, that, was, that was the amazing thing about this research on tithing. You're not just studying scripture. You're studying history. And anybody knows when you, you find a lot of information by studying history. And that's why I said, that's why I keep saying every time I post something in a blog, I'm saying when you're researching scripture, you're researching the land, the language, and the literature of the, of the original people. And so you're studying history, you're studying secular history, you're studying biblical history, and you're studying the culture, and you're studying the practices of the culture. And so Leviticus 27, 33, it tells you exactly what God wanted the Israelites to do once they got to the promised land. Tithing hadn't started at this point until they got to the promised land. Hmm. And so the difference between the tithe that we do and the tithe, your original question, the tithe of the Bible is what you, is food. The tithe of what man has created is called money. Hmm. And that's the, that's the simple definition of tithe. The Hebrew word for tithe is ma'asar. You can do, you can Google it. You can look it up on any Jewish website. And the word tithe means tenth part, not ten percent. It means tenth part. It's a tenth part of the crop, tenth part of the cattle, and a tenth part of the fruits of the tree. That's what Leviticus is talking about. So, so why do you think? Why do you think people focus on Malachi three and ten, and always, um, you know, talk about money? Well, well, well. That's a good question. <laughs> I would have to. I would have to lay that. <laughs> I would have to lay that at the at the at the feet of not studying, a lack of study. Mm. It's it's a total lack of study. It's a total lack of study um, completely because when you read mm-hmm. Malachi, it, it, has, it does not say anything about money. It says something about tithe, which is food. The Hebrew word mm-hmm. is ma'asar. And anybody who's studied, anybody who's, who has studied uh, the, great, the great Jewish historian who, who mentioned tithing, he said the tithe is always everything edible. Mm. Not cash. It's always been everything edible, and so, so let me give you kind of a, let me give you a kind of a uh, of the what people hear in their head when, uh, because the scripture says, "Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, 
that there may, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me herewith now, saith the Lord of hosts, I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out you a blessing that there shall not be room enough for you to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before time in the field. Well, the context here is about crops. So when he says, bring ye the tithe into the storehouse, he's telling the Israelites to bring the crops and the cattle. The storehouse in Malachi is not a church. If you look up the Mm. Hebrew, it's basically the storehouse here is a barn. That's what this Mm. is. It's a barn. And when the scripture says that there may be meat in my house, he is talking about literal meat. He's talking about beef. He's talking about cows. He's talking about what the what the Levites would would be. What the and I, I'm gonna go back a little bit on this. Okay, there were twelve tribes in Israel. All all the, all the twelve tribes in Israel. There was a Levitical tribe, and then they had the other eleven tribes. All the other eleven tribes in Israel tied to the tribe of Levi or to the Levites. And my book goes in all detail about this. And so the 11, tribe, the, the 11 tribes were farming communities. They were farming and herding communities. They tied to the Levites so that they could have food in the temple while they performed their Levitical services of the temple, both the temple in the desert and both the temple uh, that they had as, as a tent. And then when they built the final temple under Solomon and all the other uh, uh, temples that were in Israel where they, where they brought. So the word tithe here in Malachi is speaking of cattle, livestock, fruits, vegetables. That's why it's called meat, because he wanted the meat. And then he says he will open up the windows of heaven. Most people have interpret the windows of heaven as God showering down money. Actually, the windows of heaven is talking about the atmosphere and the clouds. And so what God is speaking here in this particular verse, he is telling the Israelites when he opened up the windows of heaven, he's talking about opening up the channels of the heavens in the skies to let rain pour out on the crops. So he would pour out a blessing on their crops that they would not have room enough to receive. They would have so many crops, so many cattle. They would have an abundance of, of, of agricultural goods that they will not have storerooms enough to fill it all up. And when he says, I will rebuke the devourer, he's not talking about the devil here. Now, I know this is what the church teaches, but the devourer is not the devil here because you've got to go back to the Hebrew on what these words mean. The devourer here is a call, and the Hebrew word for a call are pests. They're locusts or any of the hmm. uh, pests that eat up, eat up the flocks. You remember one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the curses that God put on Egypt was to eat up all the crops? Uh huh. That's what happened. These were the devourer here are pests. There are locusts that come in and sweep out the grain and eat up all the crops. So God was telling the Israelites here in this particular chapter, He says, "Now, if you don't bring the ties, if you don't bring the cattle, if you don't bring the crops, like I said, I'm going to send locusts. I will not rebuke the locusts. I'm going to let the locusts come and eat up your crops. And that's why it says, and and he, which is the he here is talking about the, the actual pests that eat up crops. 
says, it shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. So you won't have the worms eating up all the apples and the worms eating up the grapes, and you find worms in your apples and worms in your grapes, and neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time. So he was basically telling them, neither will the fruit fall off the tree before they ripe. So if God cursed all of it, the fruit would fall off the tree before it's ripe. Um, the devourer would eat up all the crops in the land, and he will provide no rain, and then the cattle would all die. That's is, this is exactly what Malachi is talking about. When I first saw, when I first studied this, you automatically have cognitive dissonance because it's going to blow your mind. I can't believe that's what this is mean. But all you got to do is get you a, a good Hebrew Bible and Hebrew dictionary, and it will tell you exactly what I said. <laughs> Once now, again, if you're just ju- go ahead, go ahead. Now, now, now here's how. Here's how people spiritually interpret this verse. And I'm reading uh, a quote from Roger Sapp. They, 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 they spiritually interpret this verse out of context, and this is what they're hearing when they, re- when they hear this verse being read in church. Bring, as an act of worship, the full amount of your tithe, 10% of your ongoing income, into the storehouse, the local church, that they may be food, spiritual food, in my house the local church, and prove me now, presently, by it, put me to test, give me an opportunity to prove myself, and you will see that I will open the windows of heaven to you and pour you out so much financial material, blessing, that you will not have room enough to contain it. Then I will rebuke your income from the devourer, the devil, for you. I will stop the thief, the devil, from destroying the fruit money, material, and goods of your labors. That is completely out of context. But this is what people are hearing every time they hear this verse read because they're not hearing it read in context. No one ever tells mm. them what the Hebrew means for tithe. No one, else, no one ever tells them what the Hebrew means for storehouse. No one ever tells them what the Hebrew means for devour. No one ever tells them what all these words mean in its context. And that's why they mm. think it's money. <laughs> Once again, if you're just uh, joining us, uh, we have with us tonight Dr. Frank Chase, Jr., author of the book Kleptobaniac, Who's Really Robbing God Anyway? And if you are just joining us, I'm going to tell you to go back um, and listen to everything that you missed uh, because definitely some good uh, some good stuff going on here. Um, how much research did you do to get to the facts of tithing, uh, Frank? Well, uh, looking around my office, I got piles and piles of articles and tons of books and a lot of reading that I've done. Um, I mean, it was it, it was just an awful lot of reading and an awful lot of books because I'm not the only one who has written books on tithing. There are other excellent authors who have done this, but like I said, the pro-tithing movement has pl- published so many books to kind of prop up the, the monetary tithe system that it has basically shut out anybody who, who disagrees. And so basically people like me and others who have written books like this have to basically use a bullhorn to get our book out there to, to, to let people know that, there, that the scripture has another understanding of the, of what tithe is and it is not what you may think it is. 
but because so many people mm. are trapped in cognitive cognitive dissonance or fear or and and I guess I have to say this too is the the the, the financial spiritualized version of Malachi appeals to our appeals to the the human side of us of wanting more money. And so that's why mm-hmm. it's easy to, for people to do it because it, 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 it presents a, a almost like a lottery system or get-rich-quick scheme to a degree because – and then if that doesn't work, then you use the other side of the t- that same verse in Malachi, where I will curse you with a curse. So you use either the appeal to um, wealth, or you use the appeal to fear, because if you are fearing that God's going to curse you, because when I just read to you that if you don't pay your tithes, God's going to curse you. So if your car breaks down, that means God's going to curse you, and they teach, well, God's going to get his money. So if you don't pay your tithes, your washing machine may break, or your car may break down, God's going to get his money. Well, that doesn't even make sense to me, because if the car dealer is going to get that money, and the washing machine gonna get that mo- washing machine man gonna get that money, and whatever else breaks in your house, the repair person is gonna get that money. How is God getting any of that? He's not. <laughs> but, the, but the but the power the power the power of appealing to fear is very strong because nobody wants to be cursed by God, so you'll give up the ten percent no matter what. Or if you think you're going to get rich or you're going to have a lot of wealth by him opening up the windows of heaven and the windows of heaven is the sky and the blessing pour you out a blessing. The word blessing in Hebrew is rain. So it's all about the Mm. weather. Malachi is talking about the weather. Oh, wow. This, this, this is, this is some really good stuff. And I'm sitting here. Um, and, and, and as I, um, listen to you explain this um i don't know if you know david lee i think you do um, yes i do but he was on yeah he was on and he was talking about you know his book sunday morning stick up and that was the first time um i had ever heard anything contrary to um the monetary ties but just listening and then you know going back and reading the scriptures and it was like well wait a minute there, there, there is truth to this because when you when you think about you know the whole bring the tithe into the storehouse that there might be meat in in, in the storehouse is like well meat and money are two different things. Yes, they and, are. And 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 you know and I and, and as I'm listening to you speak now, I'm thinking back to um, you know all the time that I personally spent in church. And I'm just recalling the the guilt and the fear um, that that was spoken to, and people did things like you said because they were afraid of like some punishment from God. But you never stop to think, you know, while you're in it, you know, if you don't challenge it, you never stop to think. Well, wait a minute, does this even make sense? I remember, um, you know, before I started teaching, I was working in a warehouse. You know, this is back when I was in college. And this lady got a brand-new car. And 
you know, this guy said, oh, you can't hide that money, can you? She said, oh, this? Oh, the Lord gave me this. And he said, oh, the Lord gave you that car? And she said, yeah. He said, okay. He said, well, miss three months of payments and let me know if God is the one driving the tow truck. And the lady got upset, but, you know, it made sense to me because, like, wait a minute. If God gives you something, why is there a payment attached to it? Uh-huh. If God gave it to you. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people are trapped. Um, they're, they're trapped by fear. And so they have a lack right. of understanding. They have a lack of understanding because they are trapped by fear and by guilt. And, right. you know, I, re- I remember when I decided to walk away from what we know of as church. And I remember, you know, all of the things that I, that, that I was told. And I'm like, well, you know, it, it's not the easiest thing for those of you listening. It's not the easiest thing to walk away, but at the same time, once you know, um, once you know the truth or you've been exposed to the truth, it's kind of hard to go the other way. It, it, it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to be like, well, how can I know the truth and still live the lie? Um, you know, because I know, you know, for me, um, one day I was reading the Bible and I learned the true meaning of Easter. And, you know, I went and did some more digging and did some more research and I was like, ooh, Okay. And from there, like, it just opened up, you know, just a world of studying for me um, for different things. Uh, And I was just, you know, and it didn't turn me away from the Bible. What it did was it gave me a better understanding. It gave me a new understanding of the things that I was reading and the things that I was was believing and listening to. And it was like, wait a minute. Um, And so it it, it made me look at the scriptures differently. Mhm. What what do you say because because like you said there there's so many uh books and there's a lot of literature um that has been written um you know to kind of I guess boost the the monetary tithe um system. What do you say to the people who disagree with you and they say well uh, you know, God gives everybody a different perspective or, or, or um, you know, we all have a different perception. Or what do you say to the people who say um, the church needs the money to operate? You know, if you take the tithes and offering system out of the church as as we know it, then how is the church going to operate or how is the church going to function? Well, that, that's a good question, and that's 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 mostly a that's a philosophical question too, and a historical question at the same time. Because, um, so the question is how how the early church was how was the early church financed? Well, basically, scripture can answer that question. The early church, if if you study the early church, the early church and the congregations of Christianity or whatever it was called back then, and or wherever when they first started, 
was not financed by tithe. They were financed in, 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 as the same way it, that the Israelites uh, took care of the temple. It was through free will offerings. And I'm going to prove this because the scripture, basically the scripture is the answer to the, these types of questions. Now, people can do whatever they want with their money. That's their personal decision. Uh, but when it comes down to making it something mandatory for people to do in church, well, that's a different story. But you can do whatever you want with your money. That's your personal checking account, your personal money. You do whatever you want. But then don't try to use scripture out of context to justify a financial system. So what? here's what it says in Exodus. This is the first place where God was addressing the Israelites and telling them something about uh, the temple. Men and women... In Exodus 35:22, I'm only going to read part of it. Exodus 35:22, verse 29, and Exodus 36:3 and 7. Uh, Moses was more ample to provide. Well, I'm going to read the scripture verse here. It says, "Men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, brought bracelets and earrings, and rings and tablets of jewels of gold. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord." They brought yet him yet unto him Moses free offerings every morning, and the stuff they had was sufficient for all. So by the very nature, in the very beginning, God set the free will offering as the way to support any particular church. It had to be it had to come from the heart. If it doesn't come from the heart, then it, it then it, then a law has to be made to force people to do it. So free will offerings on New Testament free will givings. And that is, the, that is the basis or the foundation of New Testament free will giving. That's how the church is supposed to be supported. And the reason why people are afraid that the doors of the church will close because people won't pay 10% of the tithe, because the financial system is set up based on the law and based on, based on the fact that many churches have to pay a mortgage in a secular system. And so they have to come mm. up with imaginative ways to pay the banker. Because if they don't, mm. then they will lose the church. So it's all run by the secular system. That Much of many of these churches that they are run are, are, are under the auspices of the secular government. So that's why they have to do that. But, in the, but if you mm. study the nature of how God took care of the temple in Israel, none of that was the case because Israel was a theocracy. And in theocracy, it totally operates different. And so what's happening now, people are trying to take laws out of the Old Testament that operated in a theocracy and trying to apply it in a church inside of a democracy in our government. And it doesn't work. Hmm. And that's why you have all these different disastrous financial things that's going on in church because the New Testament church was never built that way. If you study the book of Acts, the New Testament church didn't operate that way. There's nothing in the scripture that tells you that, the, it, that Paul, Peter, John, none of them paid tithes. None of them. There's no evidence, no verse, no scripture. None of them never paid tithes. Mm. And, 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 let's, and let's say this. Um, and I know you're gonna. I know you're gonna ask me about Abraham. I know you're gonna ask me about Abraham because everybody talks about what well, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and that's why we're supposed to pay tithes to Christ because he's our priest. 
Well, that's totally out of context, too, because if you study the scriptures closely, Abraham never paid any tithes. It was Abram, and there's a difference. Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek not as a tithe that was supposed to be instituted throughout the rest of the Bible all the way to the New Testament. Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek because he won a war. Mm. In battling the three kings that he battled, and he took their stuff, and then he gave their stuff back. So Abram's tithe is not the tithe that uh, people try to use. Well, you got to tithe because Abram tithe. Well, Abram tithed one time in his life and never did again, and he didn't tithe until he was 80 years old. So the question becomes, what? why didn't Abram tithe on the previous times before he was 80? And why didn't he tithe after he turned 80? Well, that wasn't a biblical tithe in the sense that we understand it. What Abram tithe was spoils of war. So you have to understand the culture of the people during that time period in history. Like I said, the land, language, and literature of the Hebrew people. Got to understand the land, the language, the customs. So in that time period, any time a king would uh, win a war against anyone, or any battle was won, the losing, the losing groups would have to cough up the goods from the battlefield and give it to the winner in the battle. That person who won the battle, which was Abram, had the right to take everything from everybody in that battle and didn't have to give it back. But he told the, the, those other kings, he said, he said to them, he said, I don't want none of this stuff because he went to rescue his nephew Lot. So he said, I don't want any of this stuff. He said, I'm going to give it all back. They said, we don't want nothing back, but just give us our people back that you took. Because during that time period, you could take the people, the women, whoever was out there, you could take anything they want. And all of that was supposed to be piled up into a heap, and the best of the spoils of war was supposed to be given to the priest king of the area. Melchizedek was a priest king. He was a priest and a king. Hmm. And he was supposed to get the goods that Abraham brought back from the battle. But if you read the scripture real closely, Abraham didn't tithe to him first. Melchizedek blessed him first. Then Abraham gave him a tithe. So if you want to follow the, 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 the new, if you want to follow these teachings that people have, then uh, that they try to use for monetary tithing, then, then the basically God has to bless you first before you get, give him something. But that's out of context, too, because Abram's tithe was not a biblical tithe. It was a spoils of war tithe. That doesn't even have anything to do with the tithe in Leviticus. The tithe in Leviticus that I read to you earlier and the tithe that Abram gave is not the same tithe. It's totally two different things. Mm-mm-mm. Wow, that's, that, that's some good stuff. Why, why do you think... Um... Because I'm 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 listening, and there are so many people who, um, you know, who believe the the opposite, and and, and I did at one point in, in my life as well. Um, but it seems like people are so afraid to challenge. Um, 
things that may not even make sense to them. Or you have people um, in churches who are living on government assistance, yet they are tithing 10% of their welfare checks. Right, um, right. You know, or or you have people who are who are poor and or you have people who are barely making it. You know, they live paycheck to paycheck and you know, they I know like when I was in church, you know, uh, it was tithe not just tithe ten percent of your income, but it was tithe ten percent of your gross income. Um Yes. You know, and then it was, you know, end of the year when you got your uh, refund check back. It was tied 10% of your refund check. Anything, anytime, you know, you receive money, it was, you know, you had to tithe 10% of your, uh, of, you know, your income. But there are people who have been doing this. Like you said, you know, the, in their mind, you know, he'll open up the windows of heaven. In their mind, he's going to bless me with all his money. He's going to bless me with a brand-new car, with a brand-new house. But they've been doing this for for years and right, not, right. Seeing, not even seeing what they believe come to pass. So why do you think right. it's hard for them to get beyond this this fear or there's a lack of understanding. Why why do you think it's hard for them to get beyond that fear? Well, a lot of it a lot of it is a desperation to get out of the financial situation they in. So desperation will make you do just about anything. A lot of it and like mm-hmm. I said, the other part of it the second part of it besides desperation is uh they're just bi- basically biblical ignorance that's going on. I mean, nobody really nobody wants to sit down and do thorough study. Reading the scripture is, is reading is reading, but that doesn't help you understand anything. Nobody wants to sit down and do thorough study. Nobody wants to comb through Greek and Hebrew and then have to struggle trying to figure out what all that means. And and nobody wants to do that. They want to, they want to have the stuff spoon fed to them. And then the third thing is the third thing is our mind can be so conditioned that the, in some cases I have learned that the only way people change is when they actually become so tired, they sit down and study, and that's when truth comes. But until then, mm. you can talk to talk to them until they're blue in the face. They will not accept it, no matter what you say. So in some cases, you just may have to plant the seed, and that's it, and leave it there at that, because if you go any further, they're going to reject it and reject it. And so basically what happens is I think I've discovered – I had the same kind of attitude uh, somewhat. I was still skeptical, but I was still in fear that I shouldn't study it or I, I need to believe this because everybody else is doing it. It's got to be right. So the power, the mob mentality plays a big role in this too because the Christian mob, so to speak, everybody's doing it. It's got to be right. So when you have the mob mentality going on, it's hard to break from that. And some people do. But I don't waste my time now trying to make people understand this because I've come to realize that it co- the understanding comes when you have a desire to search for truth individually. That's when truth comes because when I've tried to share this truth or share what I've learned, um, 
basically I've lost friends and people stopped talking to me and folks that I used to be friends with in the church, no longer friends with. So it does take a toll because people are truly afraid. It, 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 I'm kind of shocked about it. They're truly afraid about it. And so, so I guess if I had to try to give them something, I would start by giving them a tithing test and just simple questions. And I would say, go look up these questions, see if you can see yes or no. And I mean, find a verse to either say yes or no. So the first one I would probably give them is the Lord would have tithed. So basically you go to the Bible, did Jesus tithe? And who did he tithe to? So you got to answer that question. Now I can answer that question and I can say, no, he didn't. But then I'm going to have to explain to the audience why he didn't. And I'll give you the first answer to the first one. Jesus did not tithe because he was not a farmer. He was a carpenter. Mm. That's just a simple biblical truth fact. He was a carpenter. <laughs> it says he was a carpenter. And so, so, so the next they said, well, he would have tithed. He would have tithed from his carpentry business and whatever money he's got. Well, no, he would not have because if he was getting paid in Roman money, that could not be tithed because the Jewish temple would not accept Roman money. The Jewish temple only the temple in, in the Bible only accepts shekels and silver. So the money that the money that is with um that had Caesar's head on it, they wouldn't have took that. Sorry. But that's <laughs> called research. That's called research. That's called study. Would Peter a fisherman, would he have tied fish? No, he wouldn't have. Fish is not from the land. It's not from the tree. As Leviticus outlines, it's from the sea. And so in Leviticus, God did not say, give me something out the sea. He said the fruit of the tree and the, and the crops and cattle and crops, stuff that grew out of the ground and the livestock. No fish. And so when you start answering these, giving me these tithing test questions, like number, I'll give you another one. Everyone in the Old Testament seeking to, to obey the law would have tithed. So you, you got to think about that. You got to research that. Or, like I said, did any of Jesus' disciples pay tithes? They were all fishermen. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. So people like the New Testament now. The New Testament teaches that we should tithe to ministers in the same way the Jews tithe to priests. There is no verse for that. Because no now let me let me let me now all the everything that I'm saying to you and, and the audience out there that are listening, and if I hope somebody calls in that's read my book and to verify that they've read my book or somebody who calls in. But <laughs> when you read when you read my book the tithe in the Bible, the crop and livestock, was the inheritance of the Levites. The Levites were the only authorized people in the Bible to collect tithes. Nobody else could collect tithes other than the Levites. It was given to them by God as their inheritance. And it was given to them by God as their inheritance because when the Israelites left, uh, left out of Egypt, uh, they were all given 
the 12 tribes were given land. Joshua split up all this land that they had conquered and gave it to the 12 tribes. They left out the Levites. So God had to, in turn, inherit the Levites with something because he wanted them to take care of the temple. And don't let me get into this full-time, part-time uh, Levites worked full-time in the temple 24-7 in Israel. That is not true either. They did not work full-time. <laughs> like most pastors like to say they want to be full-time because the priests in the Bible were full-time. They were not. They actually worked two weeks out of a year in the temple, and the rest of the time they were at home with the tithes they had collected, the, the tithes of the land, fruits, and vegetables, because they had to feed their own animals, and the tithes that they had in the temple was something that they were supposed to have for them to eat while they were doing temple duties. And so when you got all this stuff going on and understanding what the Levites had, the Levites had this tithe as an inheritance. It was a perpetual heritage as long as the temple stood. So in Jesus' time, the tithe would have still been going to the Levites. And the 12, all the farming communities in Israel during Jesus' time would have been still tithing to the Levites. So if Jesus had collected a tithe from someone, he would have been robbing God. Mm. And he would have violated the law because the law said the tithe belonged to the Levites. If Paul had to try to collect a tithe, Paul, did Paul pay tithe? Where did Paul ever say he paid tithe to anyone? If Paul had paid a tithe to anyone, he would have broke the law because Paul was not a farmer. He was uh, a Pharisee, mm. and he couldn't pay tithes. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law, and he are, and because he was a teacher of the law, he already knew the tithe belonged to the Levites, and he would have never taught any of the New Testament believers to tithe to anyone. It was only applicable to the people who were Israelites still farming the land in Israel and giving it to the Levites who were doing the work and the operations of the temple. So this is going to blow your mind too, I guess. So people like to teach this monetary tithe, and it was supposed to be for the church and the pastor. Well, in the Old Testament, the, the, the food and crop tithe and the animal tithe belongs not to the priest. It belonged to the deacons. It belonged to the choir. They were all Levites. It would belong to the choir. It would belong to the doorkeepers at the, at the temple. The tithe was for them. They were all Levites. So if you want to argue that the monetary tithe is still required today and you want to justify it by using Old Testament scriptures, then church, you're going to have to give that tithe money to the ushers. You're going to give that tithe money to the choir. You're going to give that tithe money to the person who cleans the bathroom. And you got to give it to all the workers in the church. The kitchen committee gets the tithe, all those people. That's who gets the tithe. So you can see how ludicrous this is when you start breaking it down by what it practices in the Old Testament and then trying to apply them in the New Testament. Mm. That's some good stuff there. So so I guess um, as, we, as we wind down uh, here on the show, uh, unless we get someone to call in uh, with a question or comment, uh, I, I do want to ask the million-dollar question, and that is, who is really robbing God anyway? Well, 
I hate to say it, but all the people who are teaching monetary tithing is robbing God because they're not teaching the true facts of the church, of the, what the tithe really is in the Bible. And, 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 and this, is going to be a, this, this, will, this will be a good example. If, if, if anybody is out there looking at their scriptures, go to Mark 9, Mark 7, 9 through 13, and I'm going to show you by own, Jesus' own words that the practices that we're doing today is what he is against. So Mark 7, 9 through 13 reads this way. He says, and he said unto them, and this is in the New English, I guess, New English version, uh, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments, the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, this is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do do anything according anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. The monetary the monetary tithe is considered a con, is a is considered basically a tradition of man. Now, when I say tithes are Corbin, so in the King James version, uh, it will it will read, you will say it's Corbin. So here's what's really going on in Mark 7, 9 through 13. So the Pharisees, in their effort to want to take care of the temple and not help their aging parents or help their parents, they would say, oh, well, I've got, this, I've got this dedicated to God. It's Corbin. I can't give it to you. I've got to give it to the temple. I've got to give it to God. They were finding a way out of trying to figure out a way how not to take care of their parents. So they would deem the money as something that they have to give to God. Doesn't that sound like what we're doing today with tithes? Oh, I can't give, I can't help my family members with it. I got to give my tithe money to the church. I can't help my daughter. I can't help my son. I can't help the poor person in the street. The tithes belong to the church. What you are saying is tithes are Corbin. You're saying it's a gift to, devoted to God. But then the scripture says when you do that, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. That you have handed down And so basically what, what you find people doing They're practicing Corbin And then those who And I like to use this term in my book And I hope people understand it and read it too But this, but this term is People who call themselves paying a biblical tithe They're really not paying a biblical tithe They're paying temple taxes They're taxing their paycheck Like the IRS would tax them And they're giving it to a church It's a tax and the reason why it's a tax, because many of them file it with the IRS to get an income, a refund. And so if the blessing is coming from, if you're getting a blessing from tithing, then the IRS is blessing you at the end of the year and not God. Because mm. the refund comes from the IRS, not God. So I guess mm. you can see what I'm, what, where I'm getting to here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I I think, I mean, I'm just I'm just uh, blown away um, as I as I sit here listening, um, mostly now, because. If you read the, uh, no, you read not the yet, book? not yet. 
Okay. Not okay. yet, but but I but 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 I am I am gonna read it. Um, I did the same thing when we had uh, David Lee on the uh, on the show. I went and uh, ordered a copy of his book as well, and uh, and read his book and uh, found some some very interesting things in there. Um, and what I was gonna say was, you can tell the difference um, when you're talking to someone who has at least taken the time to uh, to go and do a little bit of digging. Um, right, right. Be, because let's say, let's say, and and I don't and I don't believe you're wrong. Um, I think that you are you are um, spot on with the things that you're saying. But let's say, let's say, for those of you who are listening uh, to the show, and once again, if you're just now joining us, we we are talking to Dr. Frank Chase Jr., author of the book Kleptomaniac, who's really robbing God anyway. Um. When you're talking to someone who has done uh, some research, who has done some digging, whenever you have a question, they have a very um, intelligent or thoughtful response, right? But when you're talking to someone who is going off of things that have been passed down to them, that they never really try to understand, they eventually get to a point where they have no answer. Mm-hmm. And and when that is the case, they'll say things like, well, this is just the way that it is. Or they'll say, well, I'm going to keep doing it this way. Or they'll say things like, well, some things don't have an answer. And... Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so there there there's a huge difference um, when you're talking to someone who's actually, um, you know, done some done some homework. You know, uh, you know, when I talk to students at school, you know, I could tell who who learned the material, and I could tell who memorized it, you know, <laughs> for when they needed it, you know, and, and 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 no longer you know know the content, and so right, um, right. I'm going to encourage um, everyone uh, to do the same thing, and that is to to order the book. Um, and, and in just a minute, I'm going to get you to give out um, all of the information that you gave out at the beginning of the show for those who missed it. But um, order the book and, you know, not just order the book, but take the time to, you know, to try to understand it and, and let it cause you to do even more research, let it cause you to do, um, you know, your, your, your own digging. Um, That's right. Because I think, I think that we're afraid. I think that we're afraid to, to challenge teachings or to challenge opinions because we're afraid of what we might find out. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, uh, it's just like people going to the doctor to get, to get checked out. You know, a lot of people avoid, Doctors, because they're afraid of what they might find out. They don't want to learn that they have an STD. They don't want to learn that they have cancer. They don't want to learn that they may have a tumor. You know, mm-hmm. people would rather people would rather be ignorant because they think that being ignorant is going to give them a pass someday or or give right. them a break. But you know, I like what a friend told me a few years ago. He said, just because you don't know the law in New York 
does not excuse you for breaking the law in New York because they're going to say, well, you should have taken the time to mm-hmm. learn the law. Right, right. And so right. Um, to those of you who are listening, um, I'm going to say take the time to learn or, or take the time to try to understand why you do the things that you do. If you are someone who pays 10% of your uh, your income to a church, my question to you is, why do you mm-hmm. do that? If you are somebody who celebrates every, you know, every single holiday, why? And, and I'm not saying that anything that anyone is doing is wrong. I'm just saying try to gain an understanding of why you do it. Right, right. Because right. at some point, we all have to answer for the things that we say, for the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And and That's so right. because that because that is everyone's truth, at least if you're doing something, at least be able to say, hey, this is why I'm doing it. I'm okay with the rewards, and I'm okay with the consequences. Right, right, right. Be able to say that. Uh, before we get into your – go ahead, go ahead, uh, uh, Frank, go ahead. Well, I wanted to leave this with your guests, too, whoever's listening, because I think this is an important fact that I wanted to leave with you. We didn't discuss Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three, where where Jesus was talking about you pay tithes, mint, and coming. We didn't discuss that. But I wanted to leave this one, too, because this one has been hitting a lot. Uh, around around the church circle, tithing circles, there is this new thing going on talking about paying first fruits at the beginning of the year. And I'm not sure if you've heard of it, uh, paying first fruits, but some of the new teaching now is arguing that you should pay first fruits at the beginning of the year. And this is dealing with money again. So they want you to pay the first uh, the first paycheck of the year or pay your first day's salary of the year pay your first week's salary of the year as a means to get God to start your blessings to flowing throughout the rest of the year. So they call it the first fruits doctrine. Well, I deal with that extensively in the book, and that has nothing to do with money. First fruits in the Bible are not money. Uh, It is not the first tenth of the year as first fruits. So sometimes they conflate tithing and first fruits together. Uh, to make you think that you're paying first fruits along with tithing, but that is not at all in the scripture. Money is not. If I, if any of the people that's listening, I want them. One thing that I want them to take away from this interview is that tithe and first fruits are not money. They are not money. There's no Bible verse in the Bible that talks about tithes as, as money, because if it did, Leviticus 27:32-33 would have said so in its context when he said the tithes of the land and the fruit of the tree and the tithes of the herd and flock. If God wanted money as a tithe, he would have stated it in Leviticus, and he would have used the word silver and gold if money was required. But since silver and gold is not mentioned, or shekels, or any other biblical money is mentioned in that verse, then money is not tithe. So when someone asks you to pay first fruits at the beginning of the year, Here's what the Bible says first fruits are. The first fruits are actually exactly what it sounds like. First fruits is the first thing that is planted in during the year and the first thing that grows out of the ground. 
And so what were the work work and there were seven, I think eight first fruits that God wanted the Israelites to pay as the first fruits. Grapes, barley, wheat, figs, olives, honey, pomegranates. All those first fruits were supposed to be put in a basket and give and given to uh the high priest. And there was a ceremony surrounding it. So when, an Israel, so when an Israelite farmer brought these required first fruits, it was a small amount to fit in a basket. No Israelite was authorized to bring the money to bring money as first fruits. Money was not first fruits. And you can find that in Deuteronomy 26 and 2. And it says, Thou shalt take the fruit of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou shalt put it in the basket, and thou shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. So the Bible tells you exactly what first fruits are. So the truth is written in the scripture in plain sight. People are just not reading it. And so if you ever hear someone say, I'm going to pay some first fruits at the beginning of the year, I'm going to pay my first tenth of my first hour of my paycheck, or the first week, or the first month, or the first paycheck itself, don't fall for that. That is nothing more than, than a money-gathering system that is not in the Bible at all. First fruits are really what they are, fruits. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We may have to bring you back for part two after I've had a chance to read the Bible, <laughs> read the book. <laughs> well, you, oh, my you're going to get an education, 400 and some pages. I had to stop writing because it was just the book would have been easily 600 pages but i had to stop at mm-hmm. 400 and so there's that's why i have all the stuff on my website and on my blog other stuff so you can look people can look there too but the book is and people have people say it's pretty easy to read you can follow it it's not it's 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 scholastic and theological but it's pretty easy to read and you'll be able to tell just by just by reading it that what you need to know and, and stuff there are some people who will read part of it and will discover it. Well, I don't need no more. I think that read part of it and say, okay, I don't need to read the rest of it because now I know what the truth is. I, I went mm-hmm. through so much extensive research and writing such long material because I wanted people to know everything that could possibly be known about the tithe. Gotcha. Okay. Do you have any, any other, um, uh, Things you want to share about the book, about uh, tithing or giving, or about about you in general, um, before we uh, start to bring the show to a close. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'm gonna share the, the, where the website is, but I'll share one more thing. Um, okay, there are a lot of people who say that um, Israel's tithe was their uh, tithe, but that was their form of money. But we have to tithe because we don't, we're not farmers. And so the point about that is that's not true because I have a, a long chapter in my book that deals with all the money in the Bible. So Israel had money. Abram had money before he ever tithed at all. So Abraham was rich before he ever tithed the first time. And so that's, that's, an important to under, that's important to understand. And then when people talk about Matthew 23, 23, they need to understand that the context is mint, rue, and cumin. 
Those are spices. He said you tithe mint, root, and cumin. He did not say rent, moo, mint, rue, and cumin, and shekels, and silver, and gold. Did not say that. So in Matthew 23, 23, the context is about spices they were growing in their backyard, and they were tithing those. And I explain why in my book, why those spices were not even a part of the law, because they didn't really have to tithe them. And so what the law required was what they grew on the land, not in their backyard. But some people, but the Pharisees took the laws to the extreme and say, anything you grow anywhere, anytime, you've got to give a tithe from it. And they were talking about crops again. And so that's why it's important to read. That's why it's important to study. That's why it's important to ask questions. And that's what I did. I asked questions of myself. I studied for a long period of time. And so if you really want to read any of my material, you can go to my blog, and I have my blog is called tithenomore.com. You can read all my blog posts. You can read excerpts of my book on my blog. Um, I, I post uh, what you call book bubbles on my blog. And I go into my book bubbles, and I write things about parts of the book and why I wrote that part of the book. And you can see those in some of my blog posts. Again, uh, you can go get the 117-page PowerPoint study from my, uh, from my blog on tithenomore.com. Uh, you can find my book on Facebook, Amazon. You can just type my name on Amazon. You can type the name of the book on Facebook, and you can pull up all the posts I have there. If you want to join my Friends of Kleptomaniac Facebook page, just type in Friends of Kleptomaniac, Friends Who Like Kleptomaniac, Who's Really Robbing God, and you can be a friend. And then you can go to my YouTube channel and go on YouTube and look me up, and I have videos, uh, at least 30 or 40 videos on tithing there. Uh, and I think that's, uh, those, are, those are the places where my book, of course, if you Google my book, you'll find it all over the place on different websites on, on, on the Internet. So you can just Google it. Uh, all. And then if you want to read some of, the, um, some of the book reviews on Amazon, uh, there's some real excellent views on Amazon. And I want to leave, I want to say this final comment before, you, before we go. The reason why I do this, and I may, and because, and even though I get pushback, or even though people do not respect what I what I've studied and and just discount it and call me a, a heretic, there's one thing that one thing that I would that I would do this book all over again. And there was one book review that I got from a, a lady who said that she was trying to take care of her mother, her sick mother and father, and she was trying to figure out a way to do that and take care of her family because she was a stay-at-home mom and not feel guilty about God and not paying tithes. And she said she read my book, and this is what, partly what she said. she said. She said, Frank, I am so glad that I read your book because I was in such fear that I would never be blessed by God because I always thought of him as a mafia boss when it came to tithing. And if I didn't do it, something terrible was happening, going to happen to me. And when I read your book, I was set free. And I, I have never been so happy in my life. And that brought kind of some tears to my eyes because when a believer thinks that God is a mafia boss and my book set the record straight on tithing to where she could give freely from her heart, I would write this book a thousand times over for just one person.
that is that is a blessing in itself and i think that um if i don't know what people will uh take away from this conversation and again um if you join late um you uh will be able to go back and listen to the show in its entirety um but i think um that's one of the things that 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 i think it's it, it is so important Remember that God does not force anyone to do anything. And you should not give, whether it's 10% of your income, whether it's your, quote, love offering, you should not give anything if your heart is not in it. You Mm -hmm. should not do anything. You should not do anything if your heart is not in it. And so to those of you listening, whatever you're doing, again, ask yourself why. And if you're only doing something, even if it's in the church, if you're only doing it because someone has made you feel that you will be cursed, or that you are going to hell if you do the opposite, then you might want to rethink that because you should be doing things because it is in your heart. Because in the end, that's the only thing that's going to matter anyway. You have people who give a lot, but the heart isn't in it. You have people who, um, and we didn't get a chance to get, to get into some other things, but um, you, you, you have people who are giving or you have people who are doing things and there's nothing but malice in their heart. There's jealousy in their heart. There's envy in their heart. But yet they give, yet they do. Focus on one thing. Make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that your heart is right. Because if not, you may have to answer for the things that you say and the things that you do. Uh, I know you said <laughs> just call you Frank, but but Dr. Frank Chase has been on with us tonight. And uh, we definitely want to thank you. Um, and we hope that this won't be the last time. Uh, you're you're on the Butterfly Evolution show. We hope that uh, you'll come back and even if you're you know just uh, free one night and, and just able to listen, uh, you're always welcome back here on the show. I'm definitely going to uh, read the book, and I encourage okay. everyone else to do to do the same thing. And um, I know that this is it. Like you said, you know you could have you could have kept writing beyond four four hundred pages, but um, you you wanted to uh, put as much out there as as, as possible um, for people to for people to see and and, and you know try to uh, gain a, a, a different insight. Um, so I know that you know if that's the case when it comes to writing a book. I know that you know we could always do a part two. Uh, so we'll definitely uh, keep 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 that option open and hope that you will do the same. 
Um, and my final remarks is this. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. This has been another live episode of the Butterfly Evolution Show. Uh, We want to thank you guys for being on with us. Um, Thank you for always supporting the Butterfly Evolution Show, and we never know who's listening. Um, I know no one uh, pressed the number one and and asked a question or or had a comment, but Tim and I have been finding out lately that people are listening, and we don't even know that they're listening until they email us. (laughs) Uh, days later. So we thank you guys for listening. We thank you guys for your support. We'll be back next Monday, same time, same station. Good night, everybody.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.